Welcome to Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. We're bringing you a special two-part episode featuring Philip Burka of the City Inclusive Entrepreneurship Program at the National League of Cities, and Samira Cook-Gaines, Director of Strategic Partnerships for Rising Tide Capital, as the two share their unique points of view on driving entrepreneurship and support for micro-businesses. Picking back up right where we left off, here is your host, David Ponraj, founder and CEO of Economic Impact Catalyst. So Phil, I want to ask you one question, and then Samira, I want you to also answer the same question. Uh, the, the, actually, the first part, Phil, just for you, which is, what is a, a poster child city that you all bring up in your work, right? And then uh, the question to both of you, um, so we've talked about uh, you know, these innovative ways like Rising Tide Capital is doing around technical assistance and this program that you have. But if you look at business starts over the last 80 years, there's a metric that SBA publishes. But if you look at business starts over the last 80 years, the the success rate in spite of Great, great question. Uh, and I, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about uh, cities. Um, so the, I think that there are a few, I mean, there are cities that really punch above their weight, cities that don't have a ton of, of you know, assets in the, in the traditional way that we think of assets like universities, um, you know, large foundations. Um, Samir and I both love uh, and adore the mayor of East Hampton, Massachusetts, Nicole LaChapelle. Uh, I'll let Samira, will probably talk about her at some point, um, but Mayor LaChapelle is the mayor of a very small city, 16,000 people. Um, there's not a ton of, you know, foundations in East Hampton, Massachusetts. Um, I, I'm, there may, there might be a college or a university. I can't, I can't remember. Um, but the mayor is just dogged about attracting resources um, to her community and linking uh, with the assets of, you know, kind of like tapping into the regional infrastructure for entrepreneurship. Um, so building a partnership through our program with the uh, Massachusetts LBGTQ uh, Chamber of Commerce uh, to deliver a, a, you know, a community business academy type of training for entrepreneurs who are historically excluded. She has done a lot of work trying to break down barriers and make city processes more transparent, more accessible. So if you're trying to register a business or license a business, it is very straightforward. You don't have to click 10 times to get to the right page on the city website. Like if you're a city leader listening to this, please think about like your website and what kind of experience someone has when they log on. Um, another city that I would highlight since you were, uh, you mentioned procurement earlier is the city of Phoenix. Um, and I think this is something that a lot of cities can do. Uh, 
cities spend somewhere between two and four trillion dollars every year buying goods and services from businesses. It's a huge, huge sum of money that is larger than all of the grant programs, uh, all of the loan programs that cities provide in total. Um, and they don't distribute those funds very equitably to small businesses, businesses owned by women, uh, people of color, to women-owned businesses, to veteran-owned businesses. Every city can do something to make their procurement process more equitable. The city of Phoenix identified a huge construction project or our contract, $26 million that was being given to just three, uh, three very large companies. Um, these companies were not doing a particularly good job. Uh, so they identified that as an area where they could break down those contracts, put, you know, make them smaller pieces so that other businesses could compete on them. Um, I think ultimately when you do that, everyone wins. I mean, the, the city is getting much more competitive. It's becoming more of a competitive uh, place to, to, you know, source, source deals from, um, the services provided are better. They can highlight the work that they've done that they've done to support those small business owners. You now have 26 different business owners who are talking about how wonderful the city is and how you know how great it is to have this opportunity. So I really would push cities to think about how do I make procurement more equitable uh, and more accessible for small businesses, and also just you know think about city processes in general, regulations. Um, you know, any kind of administrative burden that you can reduce is is going to be a win for for historically excluded entrepreneurs. Absolutely, I always like to say, Phil, is it easy? Um, is it as easy to get a business license as it is to get a driver's license? You know, like let's start there, and there's the beginning of that conversation. Yeah, what are your thoughts on this? You know, um, so I'm sitting here racking my brain because so I have, you know, six, seven cities in the cohort. You know, I don't have any favorites. I adore them all. So <laughs> I will, um, though, select two to talk about today. The city of Toledo, Ohio. We have a really interesting, we've had many multiple conversations. The cohort structure is such that we meet quarterly, but individually, I have multiple calls with the city as we're developing the plan, as we're talking through how to, you know, find those partners who are trusted bridge partners into the community, um, because we know that cities struggle with trust when it comes to entrepreneurship and um, just community building, um, specifically in communities of color and also in um, new resident communities. So we spend multiple times kind of talking and Toledo, um, Ohio really, really got to a great place. We went over the concept of, you know, our informal entrepreneurs, who they were, what we thought, we discussed which industries we might want to focus in on. And then um, what came out of the conversation was the city recognizing that there is a really thriving community of color of entrepreneurs that they knew were not registered or on anyone's radar because of the pandemic. That's, you know, that stuff started bubbling up. So we talked about um, a place called The Junction. 
and we talked about one of their really great entrepreneurship cohort-based technical assistance programs at the Jet Center. Jet Center, cool place, you know, like we've got all these nice buildings, all these accelerators and all of that great stuff, right? Let's all co-work. The problem is if there is not a clear intentional invitation to people who are used to being excluded from services and used to being um, overlooked for opportunities, they don't know you're talking to them. Even if it says, come one, come all, that's not even a term we use in our community, right? So the understanding of invitation, the understanding of having an intentional pointed message that says, I'm talking to you and I want you here was really about equity. Um, And it became about geography. So where in the city is this happening? Um, And Toledo is doing something awesome. They're taking the program into the city. They're taking it right into the neighborhood. They're taking it to the block where they know the activity is happening. That's where the training is going to be. It's not going to be tucked away in a city building that not everyone's comfortable going into. It's not going to be, you know, halfway across town, two buses in a metro, if you're lucky and your public transportation is strong, right? Like, it's none of that. So they're going to be able to provide the the training, the coaching, and the one-on-one counseling, which really, uh, I have to say, one-on-one counseling is a game changer. Um, and that goes in tandem with kind of the cohort-based training. So Toledo, Ohio, their lesson learned was really, we got to go into the community. We have to bring it to the very people we say we want to serve, but we just somehow can't find them at our city council meeting, right? So I think that is, um, that's a model city for that understanding of equity and making the actual move to come up out of the offices. The other city um, I think is uh, really interesting is Freeport, Illinois. So in Freeport, we had an interesting conversation. Many of our cities were, um, you know, in urban areas. Many of our cities were in suburban areas. But um, Freeport is a lot more rural, right? You know, the, the space number is big. The population number is small, right? Versus the other way around, right? So having the conversation about how do you get to everybody? How do you make it available for everybody? The conversation was really, um, you know, and they were very interested in the Community Business Academy. So we had at Rising Tide Capital, as many people did, we pivoted to an online um, platform. The interesting thing is Rising Tide had been building their online platform for two years right before the pandemic hit. So if you can imagine, it wasn't the, you know, let's drop onto Zoom for the next three hours, right? It's a full learning management system. So that's where, that's what we did in New Jersey. Rising Tide has nine different partners across the country, nine different organizations that are running community business academies. 
Freeport wants to run a community business academy, but the big problem, capacity, they're small and they can't get everywhere. And then the next piece is really um, the conversation about um, their entrepreneurs being able to connect. So we are piloting with Freeport to do a digital community business academy with our learning management system. Um, that's really um, awesome. It really, it does the flipped classroom models and all of that great stuff. But the question was, how do we continue to build community? Because that is a lot of the secret sauce for Rising Tide Capital, building that community between entrepreneurs who are now boxes online, as we have been for the last couple of years. Freeport um, will be convening. They are doing exactly what Phil said. So they're going to have a welcome event before the online class starts. So it doesn't matter that everyone's going to be all over. They know on this day, everyone's going to come together, meet each other in person before they see all their faces on screens. That's going to be the first. Throughout the 12 weeks, um, they will also continue to reach out, touch, convene, um, so that the entrepreneurs have opportunities to connect in person and so that the community building happens. It happens, you know, one-on-one and it happens even though they're in a rural setting. Everyone can't make it every single week, right? In a rural setting, you know, everyone can't take that 40 minute, two hour drive every single week. But if we can plan for this event three weeks down the road, if we can plan for that event two weeks down the road, it's it gives them an opportunity to be the conveners, as Phil discussed, but it also gives the entrepreneurs an opportunity to build connections amongst each other um, in person. And that's something I do think is important. Um, I am a huge fan of online learning. I'm a huge fan of our virtual spaces, but that secret sauce of the in-person energy, right? So it's it's one of those things that I think is important. And I think that Freeport, Illinois, really, you know, they wrestled with it and they really came to the conclusion that, you know, if Rising Tide was willing to kind of jump in and pilot the concept, that they would be all in on convening and all in on what I'm calling, I'm calling it care and convening. So they reach out to the entrepreneurs, they check in with them and make sure the classes are going well. And then when Rising Tide steps back, it's not like you just leave a void because those entrepreneurs are connected now to the city, to greater Freeport partnership in all of their connections in Freeport, Illinois. So that I really am looking forward to actually working with them and working through that concept, because I think it's something that's scalable and answers um, many questions for rural communities as well. Wow. I wish we had uh, another half hour at least, uh, but we have about eight minutes. So I'm going to skip to uh, one last question and we should definitely have you both back up. You know, I'm learning so much. And I do this for a living. So, you know, I'm taking all these notes. Uh, so, so, Phil, I'll ask you first and then Samira next. But, Phil, for you, I'm just going to ask it straightforward, just your opinion. For Samira, I'm going to have you pitch me the sales pitch for Rising Tide Capital 
But so when I come to you, you're going to tell me why we should bring rising tide capital to our community. And let's say I'm, uh, I'll pick another city. Let's say I'm Youngstown, Ohio, right next door to Toledo. And by the way, Toledo is also a client of ours. Uh, so we'll, we'll exchange notes later on that. But Phil, first for you. Uh, so what's the five-year investment? Because when you when people hear this podcast, they say, going to say, of course, we need to bring in a program that brings the knowledge capital, that brings the social capital, that brings, you know, uh, backs it up with some bank bringing in some financial capital. Of course, it's a no-brainer, right? So, but they're immediately going to say, well, what does the investment look like? What's the five-year investment and the ROI justification? So, Phil, I'll throw that question to you. That is an incredible question. Um, <laughs> I... Well, that's why we bring incredible speakers on here. And I have to ask you questions that meet the meet the uh, the demands so. yeah david man i wish i had a a degree in economics this is where my neuroscience degree is is incredibly useless um but <laughs> i think that i think that you're right that it requires you know a sustained investment i'm not sure that this kind of like economic gardening approach is as uh you know capital intensive um as the traditional form of economic development, which is offering massive tax incentives, um, where you know the cost per job almost always equates to being much more than the value of that job. Um, so I, I would have cities do like compare it to cities and states compare it to whatever the alternative is. I think that there are a lot of opportunities, especially now with the American Rescue Plan Act, with the infrastructure law with an expanded uh, small business state credit initiative. There are these big, big initiatives that are in, in big federal programs that are driving a lot of money into uh, you know, these types of economic development projects. So I think that the money from, you know, from state and federal sources is there. There is no shortage of capital here. Um, it's a question of like how strategically cities are partnering, um, whether they are making data-driven decisions, um, I think that's kind of the key the key question here. Um, I think as far as the American Rescue Plan Act specifically, because at NLC, all we do is talking about the American Rescue Plan Act because it's a big, big deal for cities. This, you know, these funds have a few more years to go. Cities are still able to, you know, rethink how those funds are being deployed. Very, very few of those cities uh, or cities that have submitted plans for how they are going to use American Rescue Plan Act dollars are using those funds to support small business owners uh, and to build the the infrastructure that supports historically excluded entrepreneurs. It's a problem. Like they're they're really really not thinking about it. I'm not sure. You know, there might be political reason for that, or maybe the there are alternatives they're considering that they think the ROI is much higher on. Um, but it's been considering that we are getting out of a small business collapse, you, I would have thought that cities would prioritize that work more. We're also going to head, like, we're probably heading into another recession right now. And that is going to have a devastating impact on small businesses. So this is the time when I would really hope that small, uh, you know, city leaders are thinking about how do we increase the resilience of these businesses? Because it's going to, it's going to pay off dividends, um, you know, over the next several months and, and next you know year or two. Yeah. So Samir, I'll turn it over to you. I'll just say that for the show notes, we'll uh, add links to the American Rescue Plan Act, the State Small Business Credit Initiative, 
uh, and all of those. And yes, all of our cities, there, there are cities that are scared to apply for ARPA because they're worried that they will somehow uh, misuse the funds or they don't understand the language. Yeah. We have several cities that are, are submitting RFPs to counties and states to get the money for small business. So absolutely, we'll add those. So Samira, over to you. Well, what I'll, I'll just add to that, that the National League of Cities um, is really a great organization because those questions can be answered. They actually do the hard work of digging through that stuff. And they have multiple kind of webinars and opportunities where cities can learn more as they're doing that. So even the smallest of cities should be a part of the National League of Cities. That's your pitch, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'll talk about rising tide. (laughs) Um, But you really do. You need an advocate and you need an advocate that knows everyone. And that is National League of Cities. Now, when it comes to rising tide capital, If I'm talking to any city, my first question specifically to the government is, what do you know about your entrepreneur ecosystem? Who can you name that make your ecosystem grow and flourish, not just sustaining? And if you're coming up with one or two people, you're probably coming up short because the entrepreneurs are literally the seedlings of big business. Every single big business started from a single or couple entrepreneurs. So when I talk to a city about growing their economic development, when I talk to a city about growing their community building, right? So entrepreneurship is not just um, a tool for economic development. It's also really a community building tool. So what what does community building mean? It means that you're in a place, I'll tell you what it feels like. You're in a place that feels safe, that feels creative, that feels like your ideas will be respected, and you have the courage in that place to try something new. That's what it feels like to be in a flourishing community, right? So entrepreneurs are the ones. They are the ones that reclaim community, bring communities back from the brink. And entrepreneurs are the first ones to settle in a vacant downtown. They're the first ones to turn a lot into a community garden, turn a graffitied wall, a tagged wall into art, right? So when I talk about Rising Tide Capital and what we bring, we bring entrepreneurs who bring that energy. And if that's important in your community, Rising Tide Capital and the work that we do and the service that we provide to help you build your ecosystem is really important. If you feel like the capacity is not there, that's why the model matters to to the cities we talk to. The organizations have no idea how to serve entrepreneurs, how to talk to them, how to attract them, how to gain their trust. And trust is, it's the whole conversation, right? Specifically, communities of color, specifically underestimated people in underserved places. That right there is what Rising Tide is all about. You know, um, the Rising Tide lifts all boats. And we do believe that those boats are, you know, headed by entrepreneurs. 
So when we're bringing the Rising Tide program, it's that's a very short thought. We're actually, you know, really bringing the Rising Tide model, which is all of the pieces that help your ecosystem really flourish. We're training the leaders of organizations who, again, are small business owners, these nonprofits, these nonprofits that are serving others, they need professional development too. We're training the entrepreneurs and the facilitators, and we're all all the time using the 18-year model that has had tremendous impact in Jersey City, New Jersey, and nine other cities across the country. Wow. Where do I sign up? Who do I send the check to? <laughs> that's that's amazing. And I think, uh, you know, really, really well said, because which community does not want all of that? Uh, which community, right. you know, you're talking about capacity, you're talking about inclusion, you're talking about community. I mean, uh, this is what it takes to start a business. So I think uh, amazing points. Uh, I wish we had time to keep talking. I know you all have very busy lives uh, to get back to. We should totally do this again. <laughs> if you're up, up to it, you know, we'll do this again in a few months. Come back cool. in. Like Phil said, Phil is already predicting recession. So <laughs> hopefully we'll do that. No, I don't want to be on the hook for that, please. <laughs> I was going to say, that's um, that's a direct quote, Phil. I can hear my comms office already. Send type no way an email. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. But, I, you know, uh, there are lots of challenges for small businesses and we need uh, the National League of Cities. We need rising tide capital. We need people like you in the community helping us. So thank you both for everything you do. Uh, our practitioners are going to love listening to this podcast. I myself can't wait to hear this again. Thank you for your time and we'll bring you back soon. Right. Absolutely. Thank you for having Thanks, me, David. David. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this special two-part episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. Check the show notes for links to the full episode and to all our past shows, or to send us ideas and subscribe to our newsletter on our website, economicimpactcatalyst.com. Special thanks to our renowned guests for joining us. Breaking Down Barriers is a presentation of Economic Impact Catalyst and is edited by Lauren Bernard. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Breaking Down Barriers, available for free wherever you listen to your podcasts.